Now, I'm going to introduce our speaker. It's Bob Schwan. Bob Schwan, if you don't know him, uh, is, a, yeah, is around our uh, church. He sits on our council, and he also leads Campus Crusade. So would you help me welcome Bob to the stage, please? It's really cool to be here with everyone tonight. I almost feel like I need to say Merry Christmas after I woke up this morning. It's just like my mind hasn't quite shifted to feeling like it's uh, winter, but hopefully we'll have a few more days left. We're in a, the second week of a series here at Journey that we're calling Vital Signs. And if you've thought about what vital signs are, you probably know that they're the physiological statistics that healthcare providers use to, to kind of talk about the physical health of an individual. We're talking about things like body temperature and blood pressure, respiratory rate, those kind of things. But what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is what are some spiritual vital signs? What are some things that if, if we were to just take the pulse of our own spiritual life, what are some things that we need to see to be healthy spiritually? And tonight we're going to unpack the topic of prayer. And if you were to, to do that to yourself today, reach down there and try to feel your pulse. I'm not finding mine right away. I think I'm, there we are, doing well. What would, what would be the state of your prayer life? Would it be healthy and vital? Or would you be looking hard for a pulse and maybe needing to be on life support in this area of your life? As I was thinking back on this and thinking back to my own life and, and thinking about prayer, uh, probably like most of you, I don't remember the very first time that I ever prayed. But I remember that I prayed a lot even before I ever knew what it meant to have a relationship with God, because I always kind of assumed that there was a God out there, and if there was something that I could say or do to get that God on my side, then hey, I'm all for that. So I was praying prayers a lot of my life growing up. You know, there'd be prayers like, God, please don't let there be a quiz. Please. God, please have her call me back. Please. God, help us win this game. God, if you could just help me this one time, Get out of this mess I've made. I will never make a mess again. God, please don't let my parents be waiting up when I get home tonight. <laughs> my prayer life was all about asking God for stuff or asking God to do stuff for me. And you know what I've noticed about my prayer life? Is that even, even after I've come to know Christ and enter into a relationship with Him and be connected with God, my prayer life still stays the same. Oftentimes, my prayer life centers around just asking God for stuff, asking him to do things for me. I think sometimes our perception of prayer can be like this road sign here. That this is what prayer is all about. There's a couple of arrows, and one of those arrows goes up, and that's us just throwing up our requests to God. And then God does something with those requests up there. He sorts them out some way, and he says yes to some. He says no to some, maybe to some, wait to some. Whatever he does, however he tries to figure that all out there, and then we just wait for God's response, that that just drops out somewhere. We ask God for things, and then he gives us the answer, his present in our life that we've been asking for. But if you're like me, there's something that can get really confusing about that, because if if you've prayed for very long, you've noticed that there's not always a lot of rhyme or reason to why God answers certain prayers in certain ways 
and doesn't answer certain prayers in certain ways. I was just thinking about this recently when I, there was, I had been shopping around and there was this shirt that I'd seen that I really wanted to get. I was at a kind of a specialty store, a golf store, and I saw this shirt and I really want, I know you're thinking, why would anybody want an obnoxious shirt like that? That's what you're thinking, but I wanted this shirt. But if you know anything about me, one of the things that's true of me is I am a deal shopper. I do not like to pay full price. Kind of the joke around our house is, is the F word in our house is full price. We don't, we don't want to pay full price for anything at our house. And so I, I shopped and I shopped to try to find this shirt somewhere. And I would find it, but sometimes it would be a little bit off of the, the full retail price, but, but not quite. And so I would always just pass on it. Well, then one day I was, I was going to look for a shirt at Ross Dress for Less. And if you're a deal shopper, this is like Disneyland for you. Am I right? I mean, I just, I just love to go there thinking I'm going to find a deal. Well, I'm on my way to Ross, and all of a sudden I think about that bright orange obnoxious shirt that I want so much. And I just, in the spontaneity of the moment, I prayed to God, God, it would be so cool if I walked in to Ross and found that orange shirt. And so I walk into Ross, and there's kind of the, one of the first rows is kind of the, I don't know what they, they call it, like athletic wear, active wear racks. And, and there's kind of on the end is right where my size usually is. And as I'm walking up to the rack, I mean, you, you can be kind of a ways from that rack, and you see there is an orange shirt there. And I'm thinking, there is no way that that is going to be the shirt that, I, that I've just prayed for. And I walk in there, and there it is, just one of them right there, exactly my size, just for me. And I'm just thinking, God, you are awesome. Thank you so much for answering my prayer for this shirt. And I know you guys are thinking I cast in an answered prayer on a, on a not great shirt, but it's cool to me. But I started to think about it a little bit. I started to think, why is it that God would answer that prayer in my life and not some of the other prayers that I'm praying that seem like in the big scheme of things are much bigger health issues that are going on in the lives of people that I love, marriages that are falling apart with people that I love, that I want to see God bring those to get back together again, people that I know that are far from God that I so desperately want to see come back into a relationship with God or come into a relationship with God. Why is it that God answered these prayers and not these? Sometimes it gets to the point where we kind of feel like maybe the prayer is just the roll of the dice. We don't really know what's going to happen. If that's kind of our view of, pr- of prayer, that we're just going to ask God a lot of things, and maybe a thing or two is going to come back to us into our hands, it can be very demotivating for prayer. If that's the core of what we think prayer is. But what if prayer is way more than that? What if prayer is way more than gimme, gimme, help me, help me, bless me, bless me, thank you for the day, God, Amen. What if there's something way more to prayer? But because of our own thinking about prayer, that the the idea of asking God for stuff and waiting for him to respond is is kind of the only corner of prayer that we know. And so we're we're just kind of sitting in this corner of prayer when maybe there's this whole world of prayer out there that we don't know anything about and we're not experiencing because we just don't know to engage God in that. I want to suggest to you that I don't think that this sign here is a very good model for what prayer is about. Prayer isn't primarily about us just asking God 
for things and hoping that he'll hand us out some presents that we ask for. I think the sign is better represented for prayer like this. It's not an up and down thing where we're asking God for stuff and wanting him to respond. Prayer is a relational thing between us and God. Prayer is how we develop the most intimate, personal relationship possible with the God who created us. And when we change our perspective about what prayer is about, it opens up a whole new world for us. This leads to our big idea for the day, and it reads like this. The purpose of prayer is not for God to give us his presence. The purpose of prayer is for God to give us his presence. It's about our relationship with him and growing our relationship with God. During the life of Jesus, it was interesting that as his disciples followed him and watched him and thought about what the, the things that they saw him doing in prayer, they were kind of amazed by that because it broke some of their categories. There were things that they saw him doing, ways that they saw him relating to God that was kind of outside the box for them. So one day, one of those disciples was very bold and he said, Lord, teach us to pray. And the Lord did that very thing. And we're going to look at a text today from Matthew chapter 6, and it's probably one of the longest explanations and teachings on prayer that Jesus gave when he was here on earth. And this text comes from a larger sermon that Jesus gave called the Sermon on the Mount. And kind of the pinnacle of this text is, is what we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. But even before we get to the, the section that we call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives us some instructions on how do we pray. How do we engage with God in a way that prayer is not just about us asking God for things, asking him for presence, but how is prayer a way for us to engage with God and experience his presence with us? Starting in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, this is what the text says. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. What Jesus is trying to say here is that prayer is not a spectator sport. Even when we are engaging with God, when other people are around, the other people that are around us, they are not the audience. The only audience that we have when we pray is God. The only person that we're trying to connect with when we pray is God. We want to engage with his presence. It's not about the words that we say. It's not the quantity or the quality of the words that we say. It's all about us expressing our heart to God and engaging with him. I want to show you a little clip here if we're able to do that that shows a little picture of what it might look like when maybe God is not your audience. Wow, Dina, everything looks fabulous. Well, I'll tell you something, it's such a treat for me to have a home-cooked meal like this. Dinner at my house usually consisted of everybody in the kitchen fighting over containers of Chinese food. Oh, you poor thing. What, there wasn't enough food to go around, Greg? No, there was. We just never really sat down like family like this. Oh. Greg, would you like to say grace? Oh, dear God, 
Thank you. You are such a good God to us, a, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly lain at our table this day and each day by day day by day by day oh dear lord three things we pray to love thee more dearly to see thee more clearly to follow thee more nearly day by day by day amen amen oh greg that was lovely thank you greg that was interesting too <laughs> i think it's safe to assume if when you're praying you ever use the term lord of hosts or your prayers rhyme you're probably have an audience other than God. God just wants you to engage your heart with him. Use your words in your way, but engage your, God, your heart with God. It's about connecting with him relationally. The second thing that Jesus talks about when he talked about prayer in Matthew 6, 6 says this, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What God is trying to help us understand here, what Jesus is trying to explain to us, is that place matters. Where we pray matters. We need to pick a time. We need to choose a place that's free from distractions. And now I know there's probably people saying, well, well, can I talk to God at any time? Isn't he available 24-7 for me? And I would say, absolutely. God is available 24-7 but there's only times when we are free from distraction that we're able to engage with the heart of God the way that Christ wants us to. We can't do that when we're flying down 19th Street with the, the cell phone ringing and we're trying to put makeup on and the kids are screaming in the back of the car. We might, it might be very appropriate to say, God, get me out of here right now. But it's not in those times that we're able to engage deeply with the heart of God. Just this week, early in the week, my wife, as I was walking out to get in the car, she said, you know, I really need a date with you. I feel so disconnected from you. I mean, you, you don't have to be the best husband in the world to know that that's like a red light flashing on the dashboard that needs some attention in your life. And I started to think, well, what, what is the deal? I mean, we're, we're around each other all the time, and we're always talking about things. We're trying to schedule things for the kids. We're trying to solve problems with the kids. We're trying to solve our own financial issues. We're trying to do all these things. We're on the cell phone. We're talking all the time. What does she mean that she doesn't feel connected to me? There was something different that she was looking for. She wasn't looking just for communication. What she was saying to me is, I want a time where we take the kids and we put them to bed early. We take a pot of water and we put it on the stove and we make some tea and we sit down in the living room and we talk and we talk from the heart 
until we're so tired that we've just got to go to bed. That's what she was asking me for. We can have conversation all the time throughout the day about lots of different things, but never really connect our heart. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across to us, is we can have all kinds of little conversations with God about different things, and that's great. Those are very appropriate. But if we want to really cultivate the idea of God's presence in our life, and if that's really the purpose of prayer, we've got to figure out how do we carve out time in our life that are free from distractions where we can really engage our heart with the presence of God. Because the purpose of prayer is not for God to give us his presence, his gifts from heaven. The purpose of prayer is for God to give us his presence, his abiding presence in our life. And then Jesus goes on to say this in verses seven and eight. He says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. And now Jesus is about ready to say something that has the potential to be incredibly confusing if you've misunderstood the purpose of prayer in your life. Jesus goes on to say this, for your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. God already knows what we need before we ask him. And so if we have this perspective in our mind that prayer is primarily about us asking God for things, then when we get alone with God in this quiet place, what are we going to do? What are we going to do if God already knows those things? Jesus is telling us we're not giving God any new information about our lives. What is it that he wants us to do then? And maybe this is, that thought is just a little bit frustrating to you. And if that thought is frustrating to you, then I think you're right on the edge of making a breakthrough in the area of prayer. Because Jesus has us right where he wants us. He's saying that is not what prayer is primarily about. It's not about getting presence from God. It's about experiencing his presence. And then Jesus then moves into giving us a model of how do we engage with God in a real way in prayer to connect with his presence. And he lays out for us what I mentioned earlier is called the Lord's Prayer, which is a model prayer for us to follow. But when I say a model prayer, I'm not talking about a prayer that we memorize and we just mindlessly say over and over and over again. What Jesus is giving us is he's giving us like a, a template for prayer. Some elements in our prayer life that need to be there for us to engage with the heart of God, to be connected to his presence. And the first thing that he commands us to pray and invites us to pray is this. Verse 9 says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What Jesus wants us to catch is that when we come to God in prayer, we don't start with us first. We don't start with our needs, our wants, and our wishes when we come to prayer with God, we start with God first. We put our focus on him and we say, God, your name is hallowed. Your name is great. Your name is awesome. What Jesus is trying to get us to do is declare the greatness of God and that we would just take time thinking and reflecting on who God is 
and what he's like. And this is why Jesus wants us to do that. The more time that we spend thinking about who God is and what he's like, our picture of God gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And our trust in him gets greater and greater and greater as we think about who he is and what he's like. But not only does the picture of him grow bigger in our minds, the picture of ourself, I think, can grow smaller in our minds and the things that we are facing in our life. The fact that this amazing God is with us and walking with us gives us perspective, even on the hard things in our life, the things that we want to ask God to step in and intervene in in our lives. I think probably the best way to cultivate this in your life or the thing that has worked the best for me was to take time as I engage in prayer and to read things that other people have written about God in the Bible. And for me, there's, there, there's just no better place than the book of Psalms to read these inspired Psalms and, and men that have written about God and what he's like. And I wrote just a little example in your notes page there as maybe just a first place for you to start, just a, a tiny chunk of Psalm 33. And this is what I would encourage you to do as you carve time to be alone with God, to begin to read that and reflect on it and thank God for the things that the, that the Bible says are true about him. Meditate on those things and begin to think, I am, I am in a conversation with the God of the universe that created everything that I see. And it gives us perspective on life. It gives us perspective on even the difficult things in our life when we realize who it is that we're talking to. When we come to prayer, we start with God. I was thinking about a, a time with my oldest son, Jaden, when he was just a, a little boy. And when he was, he was just a little terror when he was like three or four years old and just incredibly independent. Everything he just wanted to do by himself. You know, he wanted to feed himself, and so he'd end up with food all over his head. And he wanted to dress himself. You know, he wouldn't let us do it. But then he would end up with, you know, clothes on backwards and inside out. But e everything that he did, he just wanted to be independent of mom and dad. And there was one day we went out for a walk. And, you know, it, doesn't it just seem like kind of the Norman Rockwell painting that you just walk with your, your son and your wife holding a hand and you holding a hand? But, I mean, he would have nothing to do with that. He just totally wanted to be independent. He wanted to walk ahead of us, you know, so he's just kind of out there strutting away, this little tiny kid out there. But he got a little bit far ahead of us, and there was something coming up on the house on the corner that he hadn't bargained for. There was a big stinking dog that lived at that house that was in the garage. And as we got closer to that, and that dog did not like little kids coming around the house. It wasn't mean. He was, his, his bark was definitely worse than his bite. But when we got there, this dog barrels out of this garage and starts heading toward my son, barking and growling. And I mean, if you could have just seen the look of terror on his face as he turned around and he started running toward us just as fast as his little legs could catch him. And, you know, you're, you're kind of halfway between a a laugh, and you, don't, you know that he's scared to death, so you don't want to laugh, but, but you're kind of laughing anyway because he deserves it because he's walking ahead of you. But, you know, you get down there, and I scooped him up as he came, and he was just shaking like a leaf, you know, because I, I mean, especially compared to his size. I mean, he's looking this big dog, like, right in the face, and he jumps up into my arms, and he's, and he's just shaking. And then the dog's just kind of, like, standing there at my feet. 
I couldn't believe what my son did. In an instant, he turned around and went from absolutely fearful to pointing at that dog saying, bad dog, bad dog, get out of here. So I was just like thinking, what in the world happened in that moment that changed him from this incredibly fearful little boy to someone who was barking back at the dog? He realized that he was in the arms of his dad. And he had watched my life long enough to know that I'm not going to let anything happen to him. I wasn't going to let any dog mess with my little boy. And it completely changed his perspective on the situation. And I think that's what God wants us to do in our times of prayer. That we would so reflect on who he is and what he's like and his character and how he feels about us. That when we have dogs in our life that are barking at us, and we will have dogs in our life that are barking at us, difficult situations in life, that our perspective is not focused on the dog, it's focused on our dad. God is with us. That's why when we engage with God in prayer, Jesus wants us to start with God, not with us. And then Jesus models this in prayer. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus tells us to pray that God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done on this earth just like it's happening in heaven. And when we think about God's kingdom, we're thinking about a place where God is the king. He's at rule and he's the ultimate authority over everything. What he says goes. And that seems like a pretty safe prayer to pray. Like, who wouldn't want that? Like, God, we want you to reign. We want you to be an authority in this earth. But there's a way that this prayer gets a little bit more personal. When we don't just think about God's kingdom and authority coming out there somewhere in the world. It becomes more personal when we think about God's authority coming in our own life. God, I want you to be the king of my life. I want you to be the authority over every area of my life. And that's when prayer starts to get really, really personal. Because there's areas of our life that we just want to hold on to. Sometimes I get this picture in my mind that, that how we imagine our relationship with Christ is that we, we invite him into our life, but it's kind of like we in, invite him to be the passenger in our car. You know, it's like we, we kind of got the agenda set. We've got the map set out. Jesus, I want you along. I want to ask you for help along the way. But uh, I mostly just want you to, to be here. I'll take the wheel. You know, maybe you can change the radio station now and then. But the wheel, that belongs to me. I want to be in control. And what Jesus is saying here is that a part of prayer is that issue by issue in our life, we start to pry our fingers away from the steering wheel. And we just say, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done in every area of my life. God, I want you to be not just a passenger in my life. I want you to be the driver. I want to be on your agenda for my future. I want to be on your agenda for my finances. I want to be on your agenda for my marriage and my relationships. God, not my will, but your will be done. And the order that God talks about here, it actually kind of makes sense to me why Jesus would explain it this way, that we start with God, thinking about how great and marvelous he is, and that he is in a relationship with us, and he cares deeply about us, that we're reflecting 
on who God is and what he's like. Because when we know who God is and what he's like, it makes it so much easier for us to take our life in our hands and say, I'll give my life to a God like that. I'll give every area of my life to a God like that because we know God has a great plan for us. God wants us to win. He cares about us. I can give my life to him. And then Jesus models that we need to acknowledge our dependence upon God for our provision. Now finally we get to the place where we can talk to God about the things in our life that we need. But we ask God in the context of seeing him as our great provider. And this is what Jesus modeled in verse 611. He says, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Now if you think back to the people that he was talking to, this would immediately bring to their mind stories that they've heard throughout their nation's history of how God was in a miraculous provider for the nation of Israel during their time in the desert. Every day when they would wake up, they would go outside of their tents and there would be these little pieces of, of bread that were given from heaven for them to eat. God was tangibly, so tangibly, their provider in every way. And they would leave their tent and they would go out and they would pick these up. I was just thinking they probably didn't know about the, the five-second rule for food back then, you know, but they would pick these things up and they would, they would eat them. And it was just a reminder every single day, God, you are my provider. I can provide nothing for myself. God, you are my great provider. And we just want to be reminded as we engage with God in his presence, God, you are a great provider. These are the needs that I have in my life. But God, regardless of what you provide in my life, you're still going to be the center of my life. Your will, not my will, because God, I've declared your greatness. You are a great God. Jesus continued by praying this way. He says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. When we think about this idea that the primary purpose of prayer is for us to cultivate God's presence in our life and to just become aware of God's presence in our life, what Jesus wants us to understand is there's a potential roadblock for us experiencing God's presence in our life. And it's simply this, unresolved issues of sin in our life. Unresolved issues of unforgiveness in, li in the lives of us with other people. And I love how the psalmist said this in Psalm 66, 18 and 19 with this, about this idea of sin. He says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. God doesn't want there to be anything that interrupts us being able to have an intimate, personal relationship with him in prayer. But what he wants us to know is that sin and unforgiveness short circuits that in our life. You've probably at least experienced that on a human level, in a, in a human relationship, where there's a, a relationship that's going on just, along just fine, and then suddenly someone does something that wrongs the other person, and suddenly there's, there's kind of this thing between you and them. And you can, you can kind of just go on through life and pretend like it's not there, but when you get together with them and you're hanging out with them, you might kind of talk about things a little bit, but there's always kind of this, this elephant in the room 
this thing between you that keeps you from really engaging with that person. And what Jesus wants us to know is that when we have unresolved issues of sin and unforgiveness in our life, it creates a barrier between us being able to engage with the presence of God. It's like an elephant in the room in our relationship with him. And his desire is that we would deal with that, that we would bring those things out into the open with God and with others, confess those things, repent, turn away from those things. Don't let those things be a stumbling block in experiencing God's presence in prayer. Deal with the issues that are going on in our heart. And the last thing that Jesus models is this. In Matthew 6, 13, he says, and lead us not into temptation, because we can find that all by ourselves, but deliver us from the evil one. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We need to acknowledge our need for God's presence to overcome temptation. And what else? The evil one. Just as we enter into a room with God and we talk to our Father who is unseen, we have an unseen enemy of our soul, an unseen enemy of God. And he takes great delight in trying to steal, kill, and destroy the thing that matters most to God, and that's people. He'll do anything he can to pull you away from God. That's his business. We need to rely on God's presence in our life and just be reminded God is with us in the midst of temptation, in the midst of uh, the evil one and his, and his snares and things that he would do to try to pull us away from experiencing the presence of God. We need to rely on God's presence to overcome the evil one. Jesus lays out for us a model here of how to pray, not just words to say mindlessly, repeating, but there, it's a, it's a template for how we engage with the heart of God and how we experience his presence. Prayer is not primarily just us asking God for things and then just waiting for God to show up and, and give us his presence. Prayer is primarily about us in a very real relationship sense experiencing God's presence. And my experience has been the best way to learn how to pray is not to listen to somebody talk about prayer and it's not to read books on prayer, but it's simply to pray, to step in and engage with God in prayer. But I know that any discipline that we ever learn in life, whether it's learning to play a new sport, whether it's learning to play an instrument or learning to make exercise a part of our life, it can be difficult at first and it can feel a little bit unnatural. But I know that over time, those things in our life we almost get to the place where we just build a hunger for those things and we can't live without them. Wherever you're at right now in your prayer life and experiencing the presence of God, I just want to encourage you to take the next step. And if I were to give you one piece of advice, it would just be to be realistic about what your next step is. But it's probably not going to be, okay, I need to make up for lost time. Tomorrow I'm going to spend the whole day praying because it's probably not going to go well for you. What I would say is start slow and grow. Whatever the next step is for you, take that. And maybe tomorrow, it's just as you sit down and you figure out a time in your day when you can carve out time with God, you just spend several minutes declaring the greatness of God, 
thinking about how magnificent this God is, thinking about who he is and what he's like. And the best way to do that, I think, is to even have a journal where you're writing those things down. It slows your mind down long enough to be able to to get your thoughts down on paper and become more reflective. Maybe the next day you just take some time and you're thinking about, God, I, I want your agenda for my life. Not my will, but your will be done. And you begin to think through, what are areas of my life where I feel like I'm the one that's got the steering wheel? I've got control of my life. And maybe day by day and issue by issue, you start to think about surrendering those things to God. As you get to see his greatness more and more, you begin to surrender more and more of your life to him. Maybe you need to have a conversation with God about things in your life that are keeping you from experiencing him sin issues in your life or unforgiveness in the, in the lives of other people. Ask God, is there any way that I've offended you? Is there anything that's keeping me from experiencing you? But what I would say is don't wait. Don't wait to begin cultivating the greatest relationship that you can ever experience. Because Jesus talked about there being a great reward for prayer. The reward is not that God is going to give us everything that we ask for. The reward is that we are going to experience an incredible relationship, a very real relationship with the God who made us. God's purpose in prayer is not that we would just receive his presence. God's purpose in prayer is that we would receive his presence. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you so much that you've given us this gift of prayer. God, we're so thankful that you want to engage with us in a very, very real way. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds and help us to even think about what is our, what is our next step in prayer. God, how can we engage with you better? Lord, there's nothing else more important on this earth than cultivating our relationship with you. And God, we want to do that better. In your son's name we pray, amen.